Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. Tonight, we have our Planet Comic Con wrap-up show, my interviews with voice actor Roger Craig Smith, actor from E.T., and Cloak and Dagger, Henry Thomas, and of course, Emmy Award-nominated artist David Mack. All that and more, stand by. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. And if you're driving around tonight hearing us on the big 550 KTRS, hello to all of you who might be out there on the various highways in this gorgeous city on this beautiful Sunday evening. For those of you who might be listening to us, streaming us online, hello to all of you as well. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form, wherever you might be getting your podcast from, hello. We appreciate you listening every week. Hopefully you've downloaded geek me radio subscribe you hit that notification so you always get the little bell go off when we have a brand new live show no video tonight joey v is off with his family in indiana for easter so uh hello to joey in case you are listening you'll be listening when you edit this i'm sure uh but so tonight no video audio only good old-fashioned radio you can still stream us on the ktrs app and some of you I know are doing that as well. Uh, we went to Planet Comic Con a couple weeks back in Kansas City. One of maybe three shows that I always, always, always go to because it's such a well-done con. Uh, great guests, great area and everything. It just It's a perfect, perfect convention. And we had a lot of fun there. Uh, we got to interview some great people. Some of the interviews we're going to air for you tonight. Before we get all that started, I want to make sure to remind you all, this coming weekend, Friday and Saturday, the 14th and 15th, is Big River Comic Con in gorgeous Hannibal, Missouri. Now, I know some of you may have listened last week and heard my conversation with Deborah Hayes, who is the uh, person who runs Big River Comic Con. If you go to my Twitter feed right now, at geek to me Radio on Twitter, they have a special message from one of their big guests, Spencer Wilding, who you'll know from Doctor Who, Game of Thrones, uh, all sorts. He was the, the body double for Darth Vader in Rogue One, and so, so, so many more. You may recognize him if you recently saw the new Dungeons & Dragons movie as well. Guardians of the Galaxy, the guy's been in a lot of stuff. He's got a message up there for you, and this is a con you won't want to miss. I'll be there hosting the panel for Sam De La Rosa. I'll be I'll be doing a drawing contest, which drawing, if anyone knows me, drawing is not my forte, but uh, Deb asked me and I, I agreed. So uh, hopefully, if nothing else, you'll all get a good laugh out of my stick figure drawings that I do in this drawing contest. 
but it'll be a great time. Tickets are still available Friday and Saturday for Big River Comic Con in Hannibal. Check out the website, bigrivercomiccon.com. If you go to the last week's show on my website, there's a link to that website there, and we'll put that up on our Facebook page as well. So make sure you're following me on Twitter, at Geek2MeRadio, on Instagram, at Geek2MeRadio, and make sure you like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Geek2MeRadio, so you always get notified of cool things like that. If you're going to be at the con this coming weekend, come and say hello uh, while you're touring historic Hannibal and hanging out with Sergeant Slaughter and Spencer Wilding and Sam De La Rosa and browsing all the cool th- stuff they have there at the convention as well. And uh, make sure you come over and say hello to me. BigRiverComicCon.com. That's the website once again. With that said, our Planet Comic Con wrap-up starts now. We'll kick off my first interview with Roger Craig Smith. Planet Comic Con with Roger Craig Smith. Uh, I feel like I know you. We had got to hang out last weekend. You're on my Christmas card list, so I'd be oh. expecting that. In oh my gosh! Does that mean I have to get you something? No, just a Christmas card okay. back would be delightful. Okay, That's good. Fine. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, yours is in the mail. All right, cool. We'll, we'll watch for it. We'll watch okay, for it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Want to ask you? You started a career in stand up. What was what caused you to have that desire to want to do stand up? Oh my gosh! You know, I mean, I was always a ham as a kid. I was always goofing around in class. I was a class clown in like eighth grade. I. I just, I think I had a, a desire to make people laugh. I think I wanted to be, I think I, I enjoyed the idea of, of making people laugh and that sort of sense of like, oh, what a neat thing. I've, I've altered somebody's mood or that kind of thing. And so it, it, as I got older, suddenly it was kind of like, ooh. When I was in high school, people were like, oh, you're so funny. You should be a stand-up comedian. I was like, what am I going to talk about? You know, it's like, and then as I got into my like early 20s and then mid-20s, it was like, oh, maybe we should try this out and gave it a shot. And what I... What I learned that I loved about it was attempting to craft something, build something, work on something, execute it, go back, learn what didn't work, that kind of thing. It just became a, uh, a very sort of stimulating kind of a endeavor. And then it was just, then it was uh, on the advice of my high school theater arts uh, instructor that, hmm. I, that I incorporate voices and characters into my act. Um, and then that's what essentially got me noticed more for voice acting. Most people are like, you know, they, they, it was it was clear to me that the industry was saying like, don't keep doing stand up, go do this, <laughs> and uh, and so I, I paid attention and started getting uh, more into like voice acting as a result. So as Susie on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel would say, did you have a tight ten? Were you uh, good? We, back then it was known as your industry seven. Okay, we had a, we had an industry seven. Uh, but yes, and, and the tight 10 and all that kind of stuff, it's still, you know, that's what's so funny is what they're like, I'm going to need you to do a tight 10. And you're like, so six minutes? You're like, <laughs> what is a tight? It's 10 minutes. It's like, it's a very finite unit of measurement. Right. Um, but yeah, back then it was your industry seven, I think is what we had. It was like a seven minute set that would be what you could do on Comedy Central or that kind of thing. If you were going to get like TV time, you would have a tight seven minute set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and back, I, yeah, it's probably like an industry showcase would have been a tight 10. Okay. Yeah. And... You did it for, I think, five years, if I'm not mistaken. Did your voices just kind of, you were getting more voice work and you decided to go that way, or did you kind of just tire of it? Um, well, you know, it was a combination of things. I wasn't so sure that it was going to be the industry that I wanted to be a part of um, for various reasons. Uh, it's really difficult to make money. It was it was just kind of like I loved the challenge of it, but I wasn't really enjoying the process as much mm-hmm. anymore. And then once I was done with college and once... Uh, I was uh, attempting to, to go down the screenwriting uh, sort of direction, but then once I got into to, to voiceover and it paid, 
and I was getting a, a positive reception, and I was mm-hmm. like, and then it started to really kind of click that I was like, oh, this is incorp- this is incorporating elements of screenwriting. This is incorporating elements of stand-up comedy, where it's like it's just me. It's a microphone. I'm working to try to entertain the people on the other side of the glass and make sure I'm. I liked the collaborative element of being like a part of a production team, mm-hmm. yeah. which was more like screenwriting, where it's like you're working with people, kind of thing. But it's all behind the scenes, and it didn't really feel like like stand-up was like you know it's all me, it's all on me, and that's kind of like empowering and fun on one level but also it was like it was nice to be able to do something that was like a part of a production team yeah. and still get that element of like I, 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 I performed I, I made them laugh or I moved somebody with this and yet it was like it wasn't like out in front of a camera or that kind of thing yeah. so it was just it was it, it just filled and checked uh, it checked off so many boxes for me and suddenly I was like I like this I want to keep doing this and again it paid <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Big, like big writing writing and, and, yeah, and comedy. So, yeah. and the gentleman who's just here at your table in his ear obviously had a great love for all your voices and everything like that. That's got to be so rewarding when you hear people who just gushingly appreciate your work, and it comes from such a sincere place. Yes, it's incredible. It's it's it's, it's a reminder because again, I do what I do. I'm I'm in I'm behind the glass. I'm working with a director. I'm working with production people, and it's like I, I forget that it's like oh, that's right. This gets placed into an animated character or something like that and then it becomes something that people spend hours and hours and hours working on and doing and it's like oh that's right it's experienced and it's digested and it's mm-hmm. consumed by the public and you come to something like this and they just they share stories with you and they just go man this is this character means so much to me or this this character that game this animation this this anime this this it all got me through a tough time in life and here's why and then they bring something to you that they want you to sign because it just means something to them and it's like yeah Having that interaction, having that ability to kind of like listen to them, you do the voice for them, and it's like it's just neat. It's 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 like you just go, oh man, it, the job is already great. To have moments like this happen, you just are like it just gets that much better. You seem to have such a way with social media. You really kind of flourish there, and I love oh seeing your photography on Twitter. Uh, it's always just kind of like, boy, it's kind of unfair that you're good looking good voice acting and you can take great pictures i'm lucky i put both shoes on the right way this morning and that's kind of so. me as well so yes <laughs> but no. where, where did your love of photography come from that you know it started when it was like trying to find a hobby that at the time i was insanely busy and i was kind of going stir crazy and i was thinking i gotta have something that's just not work mm-hmm. and what can i do that that can be done at night that would be like when the off hours are you know i'm not gonna have to worry about being instantly available for a client who needs something done in the next 15 minutes kind of thing and night photography and i'd always been interested in photography then i was interested in astronomy and that kind of thing and it became something i could do in the dark at night and not have to worry about you know it's like my time kind of a thing mm-hmm. and uh and so it just sort of like it started with the idea of like astronomy as a hobby then wanting to photograph a nice guy then realizing I could get out and go do that kind of stuff. And then now it's just sort of blend, blended into also wanting to uh, photograph birds and little birds and learn the process. It was kind of like stand-up or screenwriting. It mm. was like, it's neat to be, that it can result in something creative, but it was the challenge and the endeavor and the journey of it that really started to work and resonate with me. And that's all it is. It's just, it's just quiet silence, sitting and being patient and waiting for something to happen and that kind of thing and just waiting to create something mm. in the moment. 
I have to mention, too, the fact that we're both uh, who would win judges. Yes. And you had a great battle, Jason Todd versus Daredevil. That must have oh been a tough God. one. Well, it's always tough. Those guys, I mean, I mean, between Ray and, and uh, is it James. Uh, James? Yes, James. I was going to say Jason. <laughs> Jason <laughs> Todd, start right. Yeah, exactly. It was like, that's what it was. You threw me off. No, James and Ray, like, those guys, it's like they bring their A game and their A-plus game every single time. And I'm always like, oh, my God, I, I have to step it up every single time. So it's a very high pressure. It's, it's to say nothing of the actual who would win element. It's like going up against James and Ray. You're just like, oh my god, this is like I I, I have to bring my C minus game, which is about as good as it gets for me. But yeah, high pressure environment. And I had Chainsaw Man versus Deadpool, and I'm more I'm, I don't know if you're the same way. I'm more cognizant. I'm like, oh, Chainsaw Man cosplay, Chainsaw Man cosplay, yes. and I saw some Red Hood cosplays. I don't know if you were a little oh, more yeah. noticing those now. I'm noticing those now, and I'm actually paranoid because I'm 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 curious if any one of them are gonna like like hear the show and then come get me. You know, it's like. It's- it had to go Daredevil. It had to go Daredevil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With, and, with the reach of who would win, there's probably going to be people who are like, hey, I heard your uh, judge, buddy, and uh, yeah, give you some grief. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. I, I, I highly expect that with the, the passionate fan base that those guys have created that I am going to get some flack. Right. And, exactly. and I welcome it. I welcome it. You know, it's like everybody's got an opinion, and uh, and I understand that, but that's why it's such a high-pressure show to be a part of, And it's but it's always so much fun. Those guys are the best. Absolutely. Yeah. And creating all these voices you do, there's a banner here of all the different characters you've done. When you're in the voice booth, who is your favorite person to see across from you, and why is it Tara Strong? Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> because one day she's going to say, she's going to say yes. She's going to say yes one of these days. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's yes. It's always just no. I, so I don't even know what it is that, like, we're, we're it's uh, yes, no, the hey Tara thing. Uh, <laughs> no, it's Honestly, it's everybody. Like, when we... And I know that the pandemic has kind of changed a lot. There's, there's been very few sort of ensemble records since. Mm. Um, and I don't know how the industry, it's going to be kind of like a blend, I think, going forward of, of, of some remote, some some in-person, some ensemble, some, you know, isolated, that kind of thing. Um, man, we had so much fun in the in the in the before times with those ensemble records Make it was tell. just oh my gosh it's it's a, i feel for the directors cuz as they say it's like hurting cats trying to get us to all to settle down and to to stop you know making jokes and fart noises and things like that after every take and the, yeah it was a a lot of fun but um yeah it's definitely Tara strong it has to be I think otherwise, otherwise at the next one of these where she's at she'll probably beat me up so, That's true. Or have Willie beat me up. That could also Even be worse. a thing. Yes, yes. exactly. Because yeah, he could. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I am not a very strong or tall individual. So That's right. That. You got that yeah. center, low center of gravity. Low center of gravity. Put it to work for you. From the kneecaps down, right. they're mine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, I, I know my place. Some of your iconic characters, obviously, Captain America, uh, almost more prolific than Chris Evans, because all the projects you've done in with it. I guess. Yeah, sure. And yeah, then you say that. Batman yeah. Origins, that. Batman Ninja, all the Batman products you've done and everything like that. And we just met at Kevin Conroy's yes. service and I think of that voice all the time that's got to be some big shoes to fill when you're coming in and say hey we're going to have you do this Arkham game it's like oh what are your thoughts when you're taking on a, a huge role like Batman to begin with but to follow in the footsteps of someone like Kevin Conroy as I've said always it was never about filling shoes because you can't those those shoes cannot be filled and they never will be filled it's, it's always going to be that it's just what he established was Batman you know the iconic voice of Batman hands down so I think when it came to like like Arkham Origins and that kind of thing, we were stepping in, kind of going. Uh, and Troy put it best uh, with his version of Joker when he was saying, "Look, it, we knew that these were points on the horizon that our performances had to lend some credibility to that the fans receiving the game would go. I can see where these voices would become what Kevin and Mark had established. Mm-hmm. And uh, and but as far as like 
filling shoes and that kind of thing is like there's no such thing it's just you just do the best you can to kind of honor what's right for the character you rely heavily on your director you rely heavily on the writers and the producers that are that, that hopefully have sort of coveted in the same way um, and you just execute the job it's, it's all I can ever do and, yeah. and so I wasn't thinking too much about gosh I hope this is received well because if I'm doing that then I'm probably going to taint my performance and do something stupid and if I'm worried about whether or not the fans are going to like something it's like I just that's not my job my job's to show up what's the director want me to do I'll do what you want me to do and we and I will push back and, and it's, there's always a little bit of you know push and pull kind of a thing um, but for the most part it's like no I listen to what they want me to do and I do it that's it um, and so it makes it a little easier to kind of get small and just think just shut up do the job mm. and, and hope that it's received well because it's a big collaborative thing I'm not going to do any of the animation I'm not going to do right, any of the writing right. so all I can do is, is just hope that my performance works and that, uh, that that collaboratively we create something that resonates with the audience but my gosh when, when, the, when the term filling those shoes is used I'm always like that's not what was going on it just it was never going to be that because it mm-hmm. can't be done it just can't be done you know, it's just a, it's a different version. And we just got a minute or two left. I want to ask you about all the video games you've done. Obviously, you're very famously known for Sonic, as we kind of see the True. background yes, behind yeah, the us background, here. Yes, yeah. Oh, is that what that Creed? is? I just finally I got so. it. I thought oh it was my a nice gosh. I thought it was Miami. Decor. That's so weird. I thought it was <laughs> a, yeah, bit of, a very weird Miami. A little bit of sunshine here like with Kansas City. Miami. Yeah. <laughs> but when you when you do these video games, do you? I, I don't want to say do you enjoy the process. I'm sure the answer is, of course, yes. Is there a part of the process that you really enjoy more than another part of the video game voicing process? Um, you know, I don't know. I guess it's when it finally comes out. Because, again, like what I was saying earlier, it's a, it's a collaborative thing. So when I'm in the booth, when I'm doing what I'm doing, I don't get to see any of the finished product. It's like I don't get to know what this is going to look like per se. I don't know how they're going to plug my performance into a given scene, what it's going to be like when it's lit, when it's, when it's got background music, when it's got background sounds, when it's got sound effects, when it's got all these different things that are going on. Suddenly you get to see what the, 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 the cumulative effort of mm. everyone involved becomes. And that's a neat moment when all of a sudden something that I've been doing that I was like, what is this for? Like, you know, I mean, everything from like, you know, Chris Redfield punching boulders back in the day. People were like, what? You know, what was that sound? And I was like, I don't know. They probably just told me to just make another punching sound. And it's like, <laughs> how was I to know that they were going to turn it into a scene where he punches a boulder? You know, so it's always kind of fun to kind of play the games, see what this this uh, this thing that sort of comes to fruition when it's done with everybody getting their, you know, getting their mittens on it what it's like um, that's the best kind of time for me because very often I'm just sort of flying blind I just I, sometimes you don't even get the context of what's going on which is why you rely on your director but it can be it can, it can, it can get messy at times because you can, you, can, you can deliver a line very softly and then you find out oh my god the guy that I'm talking to is 30 feet away right. <laughs> but, but maybe they didn't know that at the time mm. and it's like it's so difficult to make a movie to make a video game to make a TV show it's like so it's fun to watch the stuff come out and it's like that's the best part for me after the fact. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's like it's hard to have a bad day behind a VO mic. Right. And it's just a good time. It's and my very job. last question, I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, when you're finding the voice, obviously, if you're doing like a national sales com- campaign like you've done before, you've got very specific. We want this to sound very clipped oh, or anything yes. like that. If it's you oh, know yeah. a medical thing or a, a car sales, obviously, when you're voicing Toby Maguire in Celebrity Deathmatch, <laughs> you have to imitate Toby Maguire. Oh, yeah. well, when you're finding the voice for your these some of these new characters do you rely on storyboards is it all the director who's giving you the information how do you find the voice for some of these characters it just depends on the project i think and and honestly uh, if people are very passionate about it then they understand like how to speak the language to, to 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 give voice actors directable language that they can then kind of hone a character for them 
Uh, and very often you find it about 45 minutes into any given session. So sometimes we'll go back and actually re-record the very mm. beginning of the session because you've done some work and you go, this is, this is our character. Um, but it just depends from project to project and, and depends on how people work. And sometimes you don't even have the time. Sometimes they are just on a, on a budget crunch, mm. and they are just cranking things out, and you just, it's like, that's the job. It's like, okay, we'll just do that. We like this? Yep, good, we got to go. It's like, okay, let's just move, you know. So it just depends on the project. Um, typically, the first couple of sessions, like with Arkham Origins, we spent, I think, about the first week really kind of working with the voice. Because mm. we just want, we had so many different so, so many different projects to pull from. Yeah, we were literally yeah. doing even the Christian Bale version at some point, trying to see if that would work. Uh, you know, so it was like we were trying to figure out like versions that we could kind of pepper in, and and that's you know that's a that's a privilege to have like when you're in the booth. Yeah, yeah, Because um, sure. n- nine times out of ten, they're just trying to like crank through and get this thing done because they got a budget. Um, so it just depends on the project, um, and it is collaborative. You know, I rely very heavily on my director to kind of convey what they're hoping to achieve with this character because they've had the ear of the producers for so long and the writers long before I step into the booth. So sometimes it's the first 15, 20 minutes we're talking about it. I ask a lot of questions, you know, like try to find where to place the voice, how to do something. Do we want to add texture, character, that kind of thing? And then they just go, yep, and we move. And it's like that. And sometimes then when you're moving, it can be just insanely quick because you're just cranking through the work. Right. Um, so it's, but it all depends on project to project to project. It's rare that I walk in and go, well, yes. Your thespian has arrived, and, <laughs> and this is the voice that I shall be doing for you. It, it's no, it's like you walk in and go, What do we got? And, and honestly, Sonic Frontiers was the same thing. I walked in, they're like, All right, here we go. And I was like, All right, we're going to do another Sonic. You know, and they're like, Not like that. And I was like, Oh, what are we doing? And then they, they led me to this new performance that's resonated well with the audience that's mm. played Frontiers. And we'll see if that sticks with it. I have no idea. It's like, again, Sonic to Sonic to Sonic to Batman to it's. Every single project is completely different every single time. I don't walk in kind of going, I'm just going to go do the same thing I've done before. It's always different producers, different writers, different directors, different, you know, and, and it could be just that they want to go, we got to tweak it again because we want to we want to make a new audience. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's like, you know, that, that you see that happen on a lot of shows. I mean, Teen Titans versus Teen Titans Go. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's so a big one. So then 10 versions, that kind of thing. It's like, that's how it goes. It's like they, they need to find a new audience. So maybe that's what they're doing with Frontiers. Maybe that's what they're doing with all these other projects. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I just show up and kind of go, what are we doing? What do you need? Let's what get to work. Yeah. yeah. What do you want from me? And hopefully I can deliver. And that's the game. So far you have, and it appears that you're being very successful at your delivery. So, so. far. So far. So and again, far. you can follow him on Twitter at Roger Craig Smith on Instagram as well. Anything new that you want to promote at all? That's the worst thing about my job. Is can't that I, can't, about I can't talk about anything new until it's out. So stay tuned. Right. And, and honestly, <laughs> social media is the best place for me to like, like try to, to promote those things when I can get it. Cool. Yeah, that's good. I think the Millennium They're Falcon is letting the air out of this yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> Before the that's how you know. Pass. Like, ooh, sorry. Right. <laughs> is that getting picked up on the mic? That's awkward. Oh, my goodness. That's all right. Yeah, this is I'll okay. Take care of that. We'll this go to the is, loo. Oh, right. It's a bit of a medical condition. Hang on. I understand. Hang on, it's ending. All right. And honestly, if it's not getting picked up on the mic, this is just going to be silly. Nobody's going to know what we're doing. He's got a pretty good mic. Yeah. Or just in post, just add in the worst. Yeah, flatulence. That's just, you know, that's my sense of Flatulence sound effect on the little board. There you go. That's the way to do it. Roger Craig Smith. Great pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you. There he goes, Roger Craig Smith. Uh, such a great guy and uh, very grateful for the time. I think he's at SAC Anime this particular weekend. So uh, hopefully all of you at SAC Anime are having fun out there. Uh, we're going to take another quick commercial break. We'll come right back with a few more interviews, including Henry Thomas and David Mack. 
For my Planet Comic Con wrap-up, stay tuned. You're listening to geek to me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Attention maggots, this is Sergeant Slaughter from WWE at G.I. Joe, the real American hero. And you're listening to geek to me Don't touch that dial and that's an order. G.I. Joe! Sergeant Slaughter, just one of the many guests you were able to meet this weekend at Hannibal Comic Con in Hannibal, Missouri. BigRiverComicCon.com is the website to get your tickets and check that out. Again, that'll be a lot of fun. I'll be there, uh, whether that's a deterrent for you to come or if it's a draw. We don't know. Uh, but it'll be great to see some of you out there. If you do get the chance, come by and just say hello. Let me know you're a listener. And we've got some stickers and some other cool stuff to give away for you while you're there attending. I want to make sure we tell you about our premier sponsor, the people without whom this show would not be on the air this long. I can't believe August will be, if if my math is correct, I think August is seven years for me doing this show, which is incredible to think about. But that would be our premier sponsor, Discover St. Charles. That's discoverstcharles.com, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. They have been with me since the beginning of this endeavor. They were the first people when I went around to get sponsors. They said, yep, let's do this. I've worked with them for many years now on their festivals, and it's just, it's such a great place to go to. And if you went out today, I know today was obviously a holiday, so maybe you had family stuff, but today was a gorgeous day to get out there and enjoy Frontier Park, throw the Frisbee around, or just uh, maybe do some fishing out there on the river where it's allowed. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in St. Charles all the time. There's always shops popping up, new places, and it's all these small businesses. And obviously, as I've said before in this economy, it's so important to support small businesses. So get out there. If you are looking for some sweets, they have sugar and slice right there in South Maine. My wife favorite place to get macrons. They've got great flavors there. They've got uh, cakes and cookies and really, really good cinnamon rolls that they only make on the weekend. So I always try to slip out there on a Saturday and get some cinnamon rolls. Uh, But they've got, uh, you know, the salt and smoke out there is great. They've got a lot of great restaurants and shops all up and down North and South Main Street. They've got a, uh, a burger place. They've got pizza. They've got barbecue, something for every taste. And maybe you're listening to this right now and you're streaming us online. You're not in. Maybe you may be like our friend Chance with Nostalgia Bell's podcast down there in Atlanta. And maybe you're not in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area. Maybe you want to plan a trip. Maybe you're some of my friends who we met at Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida. Or maybe, uh, maybe you're in Hannibal and haven't made it out to St. Charles yet. Whether you're close, whether you're far away, check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Plan your trip. Come hang out and have a good time. Get some good food. Buy some stuff from these amazing little shops and stores. Have a great time and then tell all your friends how much fun you had so they'll come and check out St. Charles as well. Once again, start your trip at the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. As we always say, it's an historically good time. Planet Comic Con was a couple weekends ago in gorgeous downtown Kansas City at Bartle Hall. You heard my interview with Roger Craig Smith in the last segment. This time we get to talk to an actor, uh, one of the very first that I remember seeing. And, of course, he was a child actor at the time. One of the first movies I ever saw more than once in theater, E.T. He was in Cloak and Dagger. He's been working with Mike Flanagan on a lot of great projects now. Uh, He was in Doctor Sleep. 
He was in The Haunting of Hill House and a lot of other cool projects. It really uh, was interesting to get to talk to him about all of his stuff. My interview now with actor Henry Thomas. Here at Planet Comic Con with Henry Thomas. Um, I grew up E.T. It was the first movie I ever saw more than once in a theater. My dad took me and my brother took me. But to have that be an early role, Steven Spielberg, for crying out loud, that must have been a bit overwhelming as a young yeah, man. Yeah, it, it was a big deal at the time. And, um, you know, working for Steven Spielberg even back then was a big deal. So, uh, yeah, it was exciting. Um, changed my life. Absolutely. And then all the stuff you've done since. I love the, uh, the, the collaborations you've done with Mike Flanning. It was brilliant. Thanks. Uh, some yeah. of the best horror stuff out there. I think so, too, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I managed to uh, meet Mike at the right time, and he believed in me as an actor and has given me a lot of interesting roles. So it's been a lot of fun. And we've had Rahul Kohli on the show, who's also in Blind Manor, yeah. and he's a super nice guy, too. He's great, Rahul. So did, uh, with, with the cast on any one of these particular ones, is it always under Mike's guidance, I guess? It's always kind of the same. He brings in good people, obviously. So He, he brings in a lot of uh, familiar faces. He brings in some new faces uh, on each project. But, you know, there is a core group of, uh, of people that we, we tend to see a lot in, in his universe. and. And I'm I'm one of them, but uh, and Rahul's one of them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Katie Parker, yeah, sure. Annabeth Gish, um, yeah, just to name a, a couple. So, do you guys just after you're done with one, you're like, all right, Mike, what are we doing next? Do you guys have a? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, everybody's kind of like got got one ear uh, to the to the railroad track, just mm-hmm. to kind of uh, you know to kind of. Uh, know where your bread is buttered right <laughs> right right uh but i think you know mike he's got long-range plans and he has roles picked out for people well in advance you know um but i think he he has been a little bit careful lately because um you know it's like everything's always up in the air when, sure. when you're when you're working on something and, and there are always more than one cook in the kitchen uh, so uh, you can't always land the role that you right. were promised right <laughs> yeah sure yeah. yeah and speaking of roles Dr. Sleep I think for my money one of the best sequels ever made to such a great movie and you got to be in that movie basically not I don't want to say imitating is the wrong word but you got to play yeah. Jack Nicholson that had to have been some pressure too it, it was uh, it was definitely uh it was definitely on the forefront of my mind because I didn't want to get eviscerated by the fans uh, if, if they were disappointed with my portrayal. But that's why we were careful not to make it an impression of, of uh, you know, Jack Nicholson performing Jack Torrance. It was in the spirit of the book and the hotel and, and, uh, and The Shining, Kubrick's Shining. But, but, you know, to kind of put it out there for the audience to fill in the blanks is the smartest thing you can do with a character like that because um, you don't want to take an iconic character and uh, piss people off. Sure. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the last thing. Yeah. So uh, I I think we did a a pretty good dance with that. But um, I was only on set for a day, so... It was, it was the most work I've done for one day of work. It's kind of nice, those shoots, though, where you're kind of in and out, too. That's always kind of nice. But then you like to have those moments to get more into the character, to bond them with the cast a little bit more, too. Yeah. It, well, you know, in this case, uh, it was perfect. But I had been 
I had been prepping for the role for at least a month uh, actively, like with wig fittings, and that, that was 90% of my uh, prep. Was, <laughs> was they were, they <laughs> were talking about right. my hair. And, right. And so I shaved my head uh, and then had to get a, a tan on my scalp so that the pattern baldness wig wouldn't uh, look too uh, obscure on my head. Right. Uh, Yes. <laughs> so that was my big prep for Jack Torrance. Yeah. And then Psycho Four, another classic. Uh, you're coming off that franchise with uh, working on the movie like that too. It's interesting the roles you take. They're such. They are such complex and interesting roles. Even if you're kind of, I don't want to say retreading ground, but it's kind of like in that vein. You have to honor the originals, like you said, without pissing off the fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And um, you know, Psycho Four playing Norman Bates. That was. That was great because I was working like Anthony Perkins was on set, and so I had a, you know, I had a, a two-hour conversation with him about Norman Bates, mm. and you know, I I felt like that he was the only person uh, that could say sure. yes or no about anything uh, to do with Norman Bates, so that was really great, um, and I felt like I had the stamp of approval there from the source exactly yeah. had, had Jack been alive to give you the stamp of or not, not that alive but I would say had he been around to be in there I, I wonder what he has you heard what he thought of your performance I, no I, I don't uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to ask but uh, but you know I think I think there was a discussion uh, about him doing it at one point oh you know? wow so uh, so who knows but I I don't know Jack and I've never spoken to him so um your guess is as good as mine, <laughs> as mine I think. And I'm curious, you, as a, you know, it's easy when you're uh, when acting and you've been doing it from such a young age to get kind of swept up. From everything I've read about you and everything, you seem very grounded, though. How do you maintain that level of grounding in, the, in a Hollywood environment? Well, I, my life outside of uh, working on, on sets uh, isn't a, a Hollywood lifestyle. I don't, I don't really... I don't go to parties, I don't go to premieres, I don't do anything with uh, having to do with the film industry outside of working. Uh, so I think, for me, it's about human connection, and what I do is uh, I'm sort of an, a, an emotional seeing-eye dog for the uh, um, empathically challenged, and, you know... That business is the business of people. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like to talk to people and have real interactions with people because I can use that in my work later. Um, and, yeah, uh, so I, I, I don't see the value of associating with uh, a bunch of actors or filmmakers all the time other than getting work. And Yeah. Yeah. And we just saw you at Pensacon too. You were there with Dee Wallace, your uh, ET mom. That's got to be. I was talking with Dee, and I said, you know, 40 years later, this movie is still so important to so many people, and new generations after new generation is discovering it. What do you think is the the heart of ET that kind of resonates with movie audiences to this day? I I think at at the heart of it, it's a story about compassion, and um, it's a story about friendship, and I think those two universal things are uh, very close to everyone's heart and you know E.T. 
tugs at those heartstrings uh, from the beginning. Yeah. And and people love it. Yeah. Forty years later, people still love it. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but we were talking before we started interviewing you about uh, JSA yeah. and having that first season. Were you a comic book fan growing up, or was that something that just kind of came across your way? Or? It, 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 it came my way. Uh, Jeff Johns actually uh, reached out to me and said, I want you to be Dr. Midnight. You know, This would be a really cool role. And, and, uh, and I was flattered, and I thought, oh, that's great. You know, and, um, So it just kind of came to me through that I I was never a real comic book fan or or a real horror fan or anything uh, so these things just kind of happened to me <laughs> and it's nice that you're now in that world though that, that DC Comics world that's always because that fandom is so very uh, I don't want to say tenacious but very loyal fan base yeah. it's kind of nice that you've had that interaction and I think uh, it's you know you, you see how enthusiastic people are about uh, these these intellectual properties you know they, they're they're the fans are, are, are voracious yeah so it's nice yeah and it's fun to play a superhero who wouldn't want to do that right yeah. <laughs> and what so you say you didn't comic book really you weren't really a horror fan what's your what's your interest what do you kind of do in your in your off time what's your downtime kind of thing uh, so I I like uh, I like all things medieval, and I like history uh, a lot. Uh, I read a lot of I read a lot of uh, history books, uh, the ancient world and uh, okay. Rome and uh, and medieval Europe. Uh, I I have an interest in. So yeah, I'm I'm a geek, but I'm not a um, not a horror geek. Just yeah. a history geek, which is still a... Yeah, more of a Dungeons & Dragons, uh, swords and sorcery kind of geek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but not really. I'm more really into history, but um, everybody convolutes that. You know, right, they right. Just think, they just think, oh, chainmail. <laughs> <laughs> it's more to it than that, obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah. And my very last question, I have to ask you one of my favorite, I'm a 90s movie fan... Suicide Kings. Yeah. What an amazing cast. You got to work with Christopher Walken, another legend. Yeah, that was uh, how, fun. How was that uh, movie for you, personally, as an experience? Well, it was a very low-budget, kind of fly-by-night production. Uh, we we made it in just, I don't know, like 18 days or something. Very, very compact. Um, but it was fun, you know. we uh, It was great working with Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. It was great working with Dennis Leary. And... Um, and uh, Jay Moore and Jeremy Sisto, Sean Patrick Flannery, uh, Johnny Galecki. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, those guys were great, and uh, and we had a lot of fun together. Um, but you know, the film, I, I I'm amazed because that film took on this cult classic uh, sure. life, and a lot of people are really really big fans of that film. Um, they tried to do a sequel a couple of years ago. Really? Yeah. <laughs> didn't didn't work out. It didn't pan out. I guess. I just couldn't figure out why. Any of those guys would do anything like that again. <laughs> I think yeah. they would have learned their lesson. Yeah, I thought so. And I, I'm just going to let people know if they want to keep up with you on social media, websites, are you active on there? Anything where they can find you and keep up? Yeah, uh, so I'm on Instagram at HJ Thomas Jr. Um, you can follow me there. Otherwise, I keep a pretty low profile, except for my work. Right. You can watch that at Infinitive, but. Um, a lot of ground to cover for your work, that's for sure. Yeah. I appreciate your time today. Thanks very much for taking the time. Thank you very much. Thanks. 
great guy. Uh, like I said, so much stuff that he's been in. Suicide Kings. If you've never seen Suicide Kings, for the love of all that's holy, go out and rent that movie or receive it streaming someplace because it's it's an amazing cast uh, with Christopher Walken, Dennis Leary, like I said, uh, Jared Gilacki, and a lot of other great actors, including, obviously, Henry Thomas in that one, along with Sean Patrick Flannery as well. Uh, great 90s movie. There's a lot of great 90s movies. I was randomly thinking that the other day. I was talking to some friends of mine. Uh, talking about the different 90s movies like The Rock and things to do in Denver when you're dead and all these really fantastic movies. Anyway, that's a whole other segment for another time. I need to take another quick commercial break at this point. We're going to come back and get my last interview with Emmy Award-winning artist David Mack, the co-creator of the character Echo, coming to Disney+. Plus Very soon, you're listening to geek to me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Please stand by. Hey, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know this voice from such great films as Clerks, Mallrats, Dogma, Chasing Amy, the new Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. We are back. geek to me Radio. I'm James Enstall, your host, every Sunday night. At 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, that's 9 o'clock for those of you listening on the big 550K. here on Sunday nights at 9. We always bring you a new show based on the world of pop culture, and we're doing our Planet Comic Con wrap-up show tonight. You've already heard my interviews with David. I'm sorry, you're going to hear my interview with David Mack. You've already heard my interviews with Roger Craig Smith and Henry Thomas. But before we get to that interview with David Mack, I want to make sure we tell you about our official comic book sponsor, Bugs Comics and Games. You're going to want to check out their Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com, look up Bugs Comics and Games, and give their Facebook page a like. I know Larry would greatly appreciate that. They're located on Bryan Road right there. Uh, you can easily access it from either Highway 70 or from the page extension known as 364. Uh, if you're going to get out there and get your comic books, that's the place to go because you're going to save money if you join their Avengers Club. Each week, you save money on your new comics, your back issues, your supplies, all that kind of good stuff. The more you spend, the more you save. It's as simple as that. So maybe you want to get out there and get that brand new Spider-Man number seven, the first appearance of the brand new Spider-Boy that Dan Slott has been touting lately on Twitter. Uh, You can see if Larry's got a few of those left to get the variant covers. He's always got a lot of great variant covers, which I'm a sucker for those. Uh, But he's got a lot of back issues as well. You might be at the point in your collecting where, you know what, I've got too much I'm going to sell Give Larry a call out there at Bugs Comics. Again, you can contact him through the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Bugs Comics and Games. He will give you the best price possible for your collection if you're wanting to get out from under it. And because he's always buying, guess what? That means if you're looking to get out there and buy some comics, he's always got new inventory coming into the store all the time. He's got Pokemon cards. He's got action figures. He's got old school games. Lots of stuff out there. You're going to want to spend probably a few hours going through all the boxes, the dollar boxes, the regular back issues, looking at the new comics he's got. Once again, check out the Facebook page, Bugs Comics and Games. They're on Facebook. And of course, go buy their store if you're here in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area and check them out. Tell them you heard about it on geek to me Radio and that James sent you and he will help you get the comics you are looking for. Very proud to have them as the official comic book sponsor here on geek to me Radio. That's Bugs Comics and Games. Speaking of comics, the co-creator of the character Echo, who is known in the Daredevil universe, 
will be getting uh, their own series. You first saw Echo up here in the Disney Plus series Hawkeye. She'll be getting a new series and probably popping up in the new Daredevil Born Again series as well. So that's a great book to get out there and get. Co-creator of that character is my next guest from Planet Comic Con. We're here at uh, Planet Comic Con. David Mack, Emmy-nominated artist and writer for all the stuff you've done. Having uh, the writing and the artist, there aren't a lot of people who do both. Did you know early on that you wanted to be an artist and and kind of fall into the writing, or was it a little bit of both at the same time? Uh, I'd always written and drawn when I was a kid, and that was what attracted me to comics, was uh, that you could write it and draw it, you know. So I loved this medium for that. And when I was younger... You know, the, the people I was often a fan of were the people who were writing and drawing like their own comics. Like early on, you know, like Frank Miller yeah, uh, yeah. Know, with Daredevil and his creator own stuff. But uh, even some of my favorite artists back then would write their their own stuff too. Like my favorite works from like Bill Sienkiewicz, you know, he's written, or Dave McKean, he's written as well. But um, yeah, I just uh, I, I like doing both, so it attracted me to comics and. Uh, but I also I also like writing for other artists too. So that was I like the collaborative aspect of comics too. You have such a unique art style, too. It's not like you can see some people's work and they'll be like, oh, that kind of, I can see elements of John Romita in this. It's, you have such a unique style. Um, did you go to school for it? Were you self-taught? Was it a natural talent? How did you kind of find your style? Yeah, I, um, I guess I just started, like, with, with each book for me has kind of been like a problem-solving situation. I try to start with the story and then try to figure out what's the right medium for that particular story. So, like, in my early Kabuki story... I was already a painter, but I, I wanted the first one to be in black and white because I felt like it was right for that particular story. So I tried to develop like a black and white style for that. And then at a certain point when something changed in the arc of the story and the character, I knew that I would then like bring the color in, into the story. Um, but yeah, I, I learned from everywhere I could. I mean, ultimately, like you're self-taught in that you just have to like do it, you know, to figure out like the best way to learn how to make anything but yeah. comic books in particular is just to do it right sure. yeah yeah so you kind of only only learn from just doing it over and over but that said i you know tried to learn anywhere i could you know i have, I have a bfa in graphic design and so i i knew i was going to do comics but at that time where i went there wasn't like a major or a class for taking you know writing and drawing comic books so i thought i would i would get a bfa in graphic design because it was taught as a a synthesis of, of text and image, which okay. I thought could teach me a sensitivity to that integration that I could apply to comics. And the graphic design uh, BFA entailed taking all the design classes, but also all the fine arts classes. So I tried to learn from you know every medium in fine arts, but also it was really helpful to me to learn uh, a sensitivity to integrate words with the pictures how they taught it, and then I could use that as a problem-solving for when I was doing my own comics as well. Yeah, and when you mentioned Kabuki, obviously that's, uh, you know, groundbreaking stuff you've done there. A lot of the creator-owned stuff, too, is some of the best stuff. Was that something you kind of wanted to have, like, more creator-owned stuff? Because I know Frank Miller and Alan Moore both said, do your own stuff if you can. Is that something you just kind of wanted to have that before? Because I I think Kabuki was before you were doing Daredevil and everything. I like that. Yeah, Kabuki got me the invite to start as a writer on Daredevil but yeah that's what I wanted to do was just to write and draw my own um, my own creation so that's that's what I did you know I think Dark Horse just offered uh, omnibus collections of Kabuki there's four omnibus volumes each one's 416 pages so there's a lot of of work that I did uh, you know really the foundation of my work in comics 
are those four Kabuki omnibuses that people can get now from Dark Horse. So, yeah, I, I learned quite a lot on that, and I was totally happy to... That was my goal, was to do a creator-owned thing, and that's what I was doing. But I got, from the writing on Kabuki, the offer to write Daredevil at Marvel, and so that opened up a new door to me, and I enjoyed doing that. And Joe Quesada, who was drawing Daredevil that I was writing for, he convinced me to do some covers as well. Mm-hmm. So that became, like, my first art for Marvel, and, you know, I'm happy to do that, too. So I like doing all of those things, but for me, having your creator-owned book uh, was, for me, always, like, the foundation of that. And you mentioned Daredevil. We're getting an Echo series soon. That's got to be so delightful to you to have this character you co-created now being brought into, obviously, first with Hawkeye, and now we're getting our own series. That's got to be... How does that process work with when you're a co-creator? Because some of them, they ask for input. Some of them, they're kind of like... You can have input. I know because uh, Roy Thomas has talked about he doesn't get a lot of calls from Marvel, but I feel like with the series they do, the more modern stuff gets more input from the creators. What, what Can you talk about your input on the series? Uh, the short answer is no, but okay. ask, ask me next year. Right. So I'm also working on another Marvel TV project that I'm not supposed to talk about okay. either. So ask me next year, and All hopefully right. I'll be able to talk about that kind of thing. But um, I'm really grateful that, uh, yeah, the character Echo that I created when I first started writing Daredevil 25 years ago um, is now, I'm I'm really happy at how well they've translated it to the screen. Mm -hmm. You know, the the actress who portrays her, Alakwa Cox, you know, the character is deaf and indigenous and so is the actress. And I thought she looked just like the character, had the, the costume like the character. There were exact, like, scenes and lines that I wrote 25 years ago that were in the Hawkeye show. And the writing, the directing, uh, you know, the acting, everything was just, like, wonderful. There were a lot of ways it could have went wrong. Sure. Or it could have had yeah. the wrong tone. And I felt like the tone that they had for it was very well-crafted. So I was really grateful for all the... You could tell they put a lot of effort and thought and agonized over all the details of the right tone for that. I'm so grateful for that. And like you said, Echo's getting her own TV series, which yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about. And those gorgeous uh, cover palettes and everything that you did translated so well for the Jessica Jones titles, yeah, which yeah. the Netflix series, each Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, each had their own unique flavor very much so, and that was reflected in the titles, too. The, that had been such a thrill working on that show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I worked on the opening titles for the Jessica Jones. Like you said, we got nominated for uh, we got nominated for an Emmy for yeah. that. So I, you know, this is a, this is a comic book that we did like 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, and then I got to work on the opening titles and went to the Emmys for this book. And I got to uh, work on some of the. I did some artwork for for the show and the set, like in season two. So I got to be on the set of that as well as Daredevil and. Uh, you know, do like there was an, there was an artist character in the second season, and all the art that he did for the show, I did for the show, and then uh, I also worked on the the main titles for the film Captain America: The Winter Soldier. That's right, yeah. And that one it comes at the end of the film, but I got to do like I did all the art for all the you know all the credit shots of all the characters in it. Which, That's which was a joy. And then I got to ask about uh, Shy Creatures because it's a children's book. Oh, yeah, so again, yeah. you're doing these mature titles yeah, like yeah. Alias. And then, you know, Daredevil okay. and, for the Marvel for Knights. Yeah, and yeah, then hitting yeah. that at a children's book. That's got to, I almost think, like a, you know, a 180. Talk about writing a children's book. Yeah, so I, I took a children's literature class when I was in uh, college, and I had created some children's books when I was in college. 
And at one, there was one called the, uh, my first one was called uh, My Invisible Friend. And there was a, in the process of doing a kabuki issue, I had integrated that children's book, My Invisible Friend, into the story of the kabuki issue. And there was another, there was another point where I was doing a, a kabuki story, and I had her, you know, kind of flash back to her as a child reading this kid's book, and it gave me the opportunity to do this this entire children's book in the context of the story and the, with the idea being that like the characters in the story in the kids book would sort of like give you uh, an insight of how to read like the surface story as well they would kind of like you know modify yeah. each other a little bit you know but they also each kind of worked on a standalone way mm-hmm. too and uh, a children's book publisher saw the book it, it called the shy creatures that kabuki's reading as a child that I had, you know, completely made and put there and wanted to make it its own That's book in amazing. real life. <laughs> so it became like a real-world artifact of, of that story, you know, that came out of the story and existed in the material world. Um, so, yeah, I was really happy to, to be a part of that and, and make that happen. And I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, I've got to ask you, you work with so many great people, Bendis, uh, Neil Gaiman, obviously, yeah. and American Gods. Um, as a writer and an artist, getting to work with some of these fantastic writers, too, what do you? Uh, what what what's the best lesson you've learned from whoever you work with? It's like wow, that's oh, yeah. inspiring. Yeah, um, I, I've written for other artists, and a lot of times when I did the art, most of the time I wrote for myself. So I've only worked with like a few writers and comics, uh, and they're all amazing. So I'm really lucky. Uh, yeah, I've worked with Brian Bendis, uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, Chuck Palahniuk on Fight Club, yeah, yeah, yeah. and most recently the author Margaret Atwood. We did a, a story collaboration together for Tori Amos's new graphic novel. And it's like a graphic novel commemorating the 30th anniversary of her album Little Earthquakes. And it's called Little Earthquakes. And there's a comic book story for each one of the songs. And Margaret Atwood wrote this wonderful uh, comic book uh, story to, this, to the title of Silent All These Years, one of the Tori Amos songs. And I did the art for it. So it was great work with Margaret Atwood, yeah. know, who, who I read her work, you know, when I was in school. Same, yeah. But yeah, each one of them, uh, yeah, I, I really, I have been informed by how they work and educated by how they work, and they, I like that on the stories that I've worked with for them, it seems like they're, you know, coming from their own point of view, and that, you know, makes my world bigger, you know, seeing yeah, sure. seeing the thoughtfulness that they put into a script and how they do it, you know, like, like with Chuck Palahniuk's, you know, Fight Club and I would read all the, the script and try to crystallize each issue of what might be the what might be the right crystallized visual for a cover for that particular issue by being informed of what's inside. Mm. Um, yeah, I've been really fortunate. And, and you mentioned Brian Bendis. Most recently, uh, we're currently working on our, our own creator-owned uh, series called Cover. Um, Bendis and I did a creator-owned series called Cover originally came out from D.C. Dark Horse uh, collected it in a new collection that just came out. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so if someone uh, missed it, they can pick up the new collection that just came out from Dark Horse, but we're working on the next volume of it right now, which will also be a Dark Horse. Okay. Bendis and myself and Gaiman, we have we have all of our creator-owned stuff. I guess Margaret Atwood, too. All of our creator-owned stuff at, at Dark Horse Comics right now. But uh, yeah, if anyone missed cover... Um, yeah, it's inspired by my my overseas travels for the U.S. State Department, and we put that into a, a comic book story. Uh, and uh, when it came out, it got nominated for three Eisners, including Best Graphic Novel of the Year, and we're working on the, the new volume of that. 
the life you let, I almost feel like I'm talking to a young Jim Starenko with all the stories he's talked about, with all of his travels and everything he's done. But it's so cool to see all the stuff you've got. And again, uh, people want to keep up with you online, social media handles, yeah. websites, things like that. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I try to update pretty regularly. Um, and uh, my art dealer is Kirby's Comic Art. So if you're looking for prints of my work or original artwork or commissions, just go to Kirby's Comic Art, hit the David Mack section, and uh, that's where you can find my, my artwork. Now, if you're listening to this after the fact, we'll put links to those in the show notes. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. Those will be there. David Mack, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. really appreciate that. A great time at Planet Comic Con. My thanks, of course, to Roger Craig Smith, Henry Thomas, and David Mack for their times. Before I let you go real quick, I want to tell you about our food sponsor, Steve's Hot Dogs. Make sure you check out the website, steveshotdogsstl.com. Uh, at that website, if you order through uh, Grubhub or whatever you want to do to order online or order online for pickup, if you're going to pop by one of their locations there, you enter the coupon code geek to me G-E-E-K-T-O-M-E at checkout and you will save $5 off your order of $25 or more. Knowing me saves you money. See, this is why you like to listen to the show. Uh, Steve's Hot Dogs has great food. It's the official hot dog of St. Louis. They've got their new uh, location there at City Park Stadium and America Center, of course. If you're going to Battle Hawks game or you want to see the St. Louis City, make sure you get your Steve's Hot Dogs while you're at the game. Or visit their location at 3145 South Grand. That's also, uh, I just went there and had lunch a couple weekends ago. Absolutely wonderful. Best fries in St. Louis, if you ask me. And you will need to go check them out. Steve's Hot Dogs, STL.com. Make sure you enter that coupon code geek to me to save some money off your next purchase. That's going to do it. Another show in the books. Thank you to all my guests. Thank you to Joey V for making this show sound as good as it does. Thank you to you all for listening. And I'll see you this coming weekend at Big River Comic Con in Hannibal. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. It's not in the way you watch the flash. It's not in the way you love Scotty Young Art. It's not in the way you play Mario Kart. It's not in the way you look when you make him a throw trap and says, That's a show. This is Geek Tommy Radio. That's a show. Hall, good night. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say Referral geek to me Radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.